Hello, I'm Philip Brain. And I'm Harry Clennon. And you're listening to Reflections by Spectacles. Today we're going to be talking about an insight that Harry wrote about the present conflict between Poland and the European Union, and the importance of the European Union responding strongly to this situation. Right. So I guess, you know, we I think we talked about maybe writing something on this a couple of days ago, but we, we got to it today. And I actually think right, it's right up our alley in terms of our general content material, why democracy is important, what's going on in the world right now. I sort of give a little bit of a brief in the piece about Poland, but Poland is one of the two countries in Europe between itself and Hungary that have seen significant democratic erosion in the past 10 years, really in Poland the past five or six years, Hungary about 10 years, but they've both seen a significant erosion of democracy while also participating in the European Union. Their leaders in, in Hungary, it's Viktor Orban. In, in Poland, it's a couple of people. It's Andrzej Duda, who's the president, but also a fellow named Janusław Kaczynski, who is neither the president nor the prime minister of Poland, but is like its paramount leader, right? It's sort of de facto head of government. Anyway, they've seen this sort of precipitous drop in the quality of democracy in in the past um, couple of years. And this has caused some obvious problems for the European Union because the European Union, when it was established in, in the 90s as the successor to the European Economic Community, before that, the European Steel and Coal Community, was explicitly founded on the basis of the principles of democracy, human rights, rule of law. And so you've got these countries which are seriously undermining all three. And at the same time, they actually are both enormous economic beneficiaries, and they reap a huge amount of money. Meaning they get more out of EU aid than they pay into the EU. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so they don't want to leave, right? Because... They're making they they are they're they've got a pretty sweet deal, but Europe has been the European Union, I guess I should say, has been reluctant to really try and take them to task for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Some of them are institutional. the The rules, the mechanisms, as I point out in this piece, for sanctioning a country, there's a very high bar. You basically need unanimity. But each of these countries basically tag teams the rest of the European Union anytime if they were to try to sanction one right. of them. Right. Uh, the other one would basically just exercise a veto because you would need this unanimity for all countries that are not the one accused of breaching conduct. But also, I think it's true, and Philip actually probably knows a little bit more about the EU than I do, not maybe more than a little bit more, but... Correct me if I'm wrong, but the EU seems is generally concerned with the image of being too involved in the sovereign affairs of a specific country. Yeah, I mean, I think it varies from some European leaders have would like to see a more active European Union. Others would not. It's definitely true that in these countries like Poland and Hungary, the rhetorical strategy of law and justice or Fidesz in Poland and Hungary, respectively, the the leading parties that have helped to erode their their democracies. Their rhetorical strategy has been the EU is, you know, not democratic, it's too involved. Brussels bureaucrats are dictating the way we live our lives and we didn't vote for them, goddammit. And it's been really effective. And so there is this sort of worry among a lot of European leaders, oh, well, if the EU is too active in responding to these to these governments, it just feeds the beast. And so that's definitely a concern. Well, just on that point, I think that 
there's this there is this there's a genuine tension here right between having like a super national organization and these member states right i mean if you think about it from the perspective just broadly our global system right we live in a state ordered world right the 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 functioning units for interacting in world politics are still although not to the same extent as it as, as it used to be states right states are the primary actors the leaders of states interact at the un these are the these are the 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 still the primary movers and shakers and we think of state sovereignty as being very very important but we also have seen the rise of international or supranational organizations supranational is what i'm saying but it sounds like supranational but it's supranational in the case of the european union which have to some extent depending on the institution to greater or lesser extents curbed the sovereign authority of states and the european union is probably the example that has done so the most right because there's the european union actually has this binding authority can issue regulation manages a single economic zone on the european continent and so there is kind of there is a genuine kind of tension between the yeah. sovereignty of a state and this supranational organization yeah the the, the trouble of course is if you want to have any kind of supranational organization, supranational organization, it's got to have some sort of guidelines, right? Right, for how it behaves and what powers it has. And that's why we point out at the beginning of this article that Poland's behavior in contradicting these it, it has been to overrule these treaties or which, try to overrule, yeah. Or try to overrule these treaties which govern the European Union's behavior delimits its its power and are what were set out as part of Poland's joining the EU. So basically it's, like it's, the nullification crisis in the United States. I'm not going to get into that now, but the idea that like a state in the US can just reject a federal law. I mean, this is like a theory of John C. Calhoun in the, right. in the 19th century. And it's, it's like, how marijuana is legal in a bunch of states today. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Right? No, literally. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, there's a federal, the federal government chooses not to enforce it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Keep going. Well, keep on going. That was a, that was a stupid <laughs> aside. But it's, I was thinking like, oh, it's kind of like nullification. Anyway. Um, yeah. So it's 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 one thing to say that the EU has sort of taken power from these sovereign governments, but the truth is that these governments delegated power to the European Union with the full knowledge that they were doing so. And a belief that the benefits outweighed the costs, because the benefits of joining the EU are immense. Uh, you have free movement of goods, you have free movement of people, you have, you know, all these things. You have streamlined regulation and authorities that you don't have to actually spend money up uh, maintaining a bureaucracy to regulate mm -hmm. or anything like this. It, it makes your life easier. And in a, if you're Poland or Hungary. It gives you all kind of money to develop your country, build stadiums, build highways, do all kinds of things that you wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. And so they said, okay, sure, we'll give you that power because we'd like to have those benefits and those rewards for being a part right. of this community. And now Poland joined in 2003. Now 15, you know, a decade and a half later in 2016 is really when this sort of spat began. I mean, it's just continued to build since then. A decade and a half later, they're saying, actually, you know, we want to keep all the benefits, but we've kind of changed our mind on giving the EU any authority. So we're just, we're going to cancel that part, but you guys keep sending us money and all good. 
it's actually kind of sane, insane. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, it's crazy when you think about it. I know a lot more about the Hungarian case, but like Viktor Orban takes EU money and like funnels it into his like corrupt oligarchic friends' pockets. It's it's pretty well, yeah. All, all, he 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 used in part EU money and money from other sources to fund his oligarchic friends buying out basically all of the media organizations in Hungary to become propaganda propaganda outlets for his party. Right. I mean it's not like, just it's not just <laughs> but he doesn't just use it for political purposes. These people are just like buying up like also, stadiums yeah. in their in his like best friend's like hometown and yeah. so he can right. I mean it's like it's crazy, right? I mean so the It's also just plain lavish oligarchy too. Right. But. Right. And so the crazy part is like the European Union has proven remarkably reluctant to really wade into a fight with these countries when they're like actually being like robbed and yeah. are having their their basic underlying principles and, challenged. And here's and here's sort of the 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 difficult thing about that is these parties in Poland and Hungary have appealed to this rhetorical idea that the Europe that the European Union has a democratic deficit that it doesn't it's it's not accountable to stakeholders and citizens in a meaningful way. Yeah. But in reality, I mean, I think the worst case of the EU's democratic deficit, its failure to be accountability to its stakeholders and its citizens, is the EU letting citizens from all these countries pay into the system and then sending that money away to these countries that basically flout all the rules right that's a democratic deficit the eu failing to reprimand and respond to poland and hungary that's a democratic deficit yeah. in the eu yeah no i agree with I that i mean and and so they try to avoid the appearance of you know of being an unaccountable organization blah 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 by trying to not play into the rhetorical ploys of these parties but in doing so, they are giving material truth to the claims of those parties. Yeah, in in a way that is more destructive. Right to the sen to to the trust of citizens in other countries. I mean, if I'm a French citizen or I'm a German citizen, I care about democracy. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm a taxpayer, and some of my taxes go to the EU, and then that money goes to Poland and Hungary. I'm thinking, what the hell? Right. This is not this is not how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Right? This is not how I want it to work. Right. You know, the EU has rules. I like those rules. I'm a fan of those rules. And these guys just don't follow them and I'm funding them. I mean, that's that's bad for trust in the EU in places where otherwise confidence and trust in the EU could be high or is high. Right. Right? And I think that is potentially more dangerous than appearing to give some truth to the to the appeals of 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 right-wing nutcase parties in poland and hungary yeah i mean and, and to a point that you are making as we were sort of discussing the article going over it and as i pointed out right i have a quote from the belgian prime minister alexander de Croo, right he says if you want to be a part of a club and have the advantages of a club you must play by the rules and so right. there is maybe this tension between the sovereign authority of a state a nation state and supranational or international institutions which might curb sovereignty in one respect or another 
Although I think the larger threats to sovereignty are things like, you know, multinational corporations run amok and yeah, I'm not going to get and into we're, it. Well, well, we're going to get into that a little bit in my focus that's coming out tomorrow. Yeah, so stay or, tuned. Sorry, on Sunday. Sunday. So. so stay tuned on that. But anyway, um, yeah, maybe there's like this tension there. And like, I, I don't want to diminish that because I think there is something interesting that's going on in that there is a somewhat diminishing authority of the nation state in international politics, which is interesting but it's also true that like as you pointed out philip they could leave you know like if this was yeah. really like if their sovereign authority was really under threat the only the thing is, that is, is keeping them in there in the thing that is keeping poland in the eu is the money that poland gets it's right like, i mean if they really cared that much about their sovereign authority then they could leave well then they could have their sovereign authority and fund their sovereign behavior through sovereign taxes right yeah. <laughs> if you want your country to be your country, then run it like your country. Don't, right. don't, you know, and that's the big difference with, say, the United States is you can't leave right. in the United States. Texas does not have a legal right to secede from the Union. I mean, as much, much as you might say. Some Texans chagrin, yeah. There's nothing in the Constitution that was on purpose because originally we had the Articles of Confederation, which gave lots of latitude to different states, and we basically realized, oh, my God, that's, that's awful. That's right. a terrible, unworkable way to do government. So we're going to take a lot of that authority back. So in the U.S., you can't do that. And in the EU, as as Britain has shown, it comes with costs, obviously. Right. But you have a legal, a legally enshrined right within the Constitution of the of the European Union, within the treaties that form it, to leave. Yeah. You can do it whenever you want. Nobody can stop you. Right. But it's going to incur costs. So you know, if 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 you want to have the benefits of the EU, you've got to be willing to make the sacrifices. If you don't, well, then you've got to be willing to give up the benefits. You know? Right. So, And because, I mean, because this situation, I think, is pretty cl crystal clear, it's just like the EU leadership has been asleep at the wheel in some ways for the past five ten years well yeah let's talk about let's talk on. about germany why yeah, don't we right i mean talk about asleep at the wheel i know we've run a few articles harry's written some i've written some about basically the i keep referring to it i referred to it in my article i keep referring to it when i post on twitter as sort of this sleepwalking foreign policy of germany with regards to russia with regards to china but it also applies to in my opinion poland and hungary it's own and, backyard and, and yeah. yeah and you expressed this sentiment in your insight is that germany has been very reluctant to be bullish on just about any issue of foreign policy and now if you want to get into why that is, I think, as I wrote in my in my article about normalcy is an inadequate solution in a changing world, I think part of that might have to do with Germany's particular psyche about foreign relations and international yeah. relations stemming from, you know, of course, World War II. But still, I mean, that might be a cause, but the problem remains that yeah. they are very unwilling to confront problems where there are problems that need confronting because basically they are afraid of themselves. Right. Uh, right in many ways and that said germany is an important leadership figure in europe right. and in the eu yeah and you cannot have strong leadership from either a person or a country from somebody who is afraid of themselves right and 
so that is going to continue to be a problem in Europe if Europe continues to look for German look to Germany for leadership. It's it has proven itself not very capable of providing it. I mean, well, we'll see what happens with these with the new with the new stoplight with, coalition with new leadership in Germany other than the CDU, which has been in charge for a long time. Maybe we'll see a shake. I mean, I think there's and a that good could case be really to good. be made that despite the fetishization of Angela Merkel. The CDU is not like a super like pro integration party, and no. they are not in favor of you know your Orbans or your Kaczynskis or right even the AFD in their own country. But I don't think they've they've been as like muscly as they could be about dealing with those kinds of problems, and they've been very very cautious about further European integration beyond the you know economic community that exists, and so I think right. that. Maybe, I mean, especially with the green, the German Greens going to be in the next coalition, right? At this point, the Greens will be in the next coalition, even if the current talks fall apart, the Greens will be in the next coalition. Therefore, a federated, therefore, a European Federation, there, I think... Meaning, meaning they want a United States of Europe, They want a United States of Europe. I'm not super familiar with the SPD or the FDP's views on this, but there could be some, there's, I, I would, I would imagine that there will be a generally sl- at least slightly more, maybe even significantly more pro integration yeah. bent Yeah. or, and at the very least, I think potentially, I think the greens are interested in shaking up the status quo a little bit and there might, they might be a little bit more, I don't want to say hawkish, but hawkish internally towards these countries, which have proven to be a real thorn in the side of the European project. Yeah. Just complete free riders. Yeah. As we've talked about the free rider problem before in a number of articles, this is a great example. I think one last thing to, to just note that I think is a really important theme I want to hit here is in, in your Wednesday Insight, you talk about how globalization and global global trade was originally promised as not just a way to create unheard of wealth and efficiency in the world and prosperity for the people of the world, but it was also promised to be a bulwark for the development of democracy. Since then, as you pointed out, with trade deals with Russia and, and all that, and I'm going to write about on Sunday about how global trade has empowered the persistence of authoritarianism in China. So stay tuned for that article. There's this important theme that we keep hitting, that this was promised, but has not really been delivered on. And globalization has basically been allowed to languish into a purely economic affair. Right. With little concern for regime type or the spread of liberal democracy and freedom. Yeah. And I think you can level the very same criticism at the EU and say it was promised. I mean, if you go back all the way to the original founding document of the European coal and steel community, it comes from a declaration from Robert Schuman, who is the finance minister of France, who had this idea. He had this vision. After World War II, he thought, how can we tie France and Germany together and the other nations of Europe to avoid another war like this? And his idea was, let's tie them together through industrial resources, coal and steel, and they will not be able to go to war together. They won't want to, and it will also be impossible. But if you go all the way back to this document, one of the very first things he says is that Europe will not be made all at once or according to a single plan. It will be built through concrete achievements, which first create a de facto solidarity. 
With this aim in view, the French government proposes that action be taken immediately on one limited but decisive point. Economic integration. Right. But the promise from the outset, the vision of Schumann for the European community is a European community. Right. The first step is economic integration. Right. right. And so it's important to remember that. And it's important to think about how has that vision been pursued or has it been left to languish and become purely an economic relationship between these countries right. rather than an alliance of democracy. So important question worth asking. If you haven't read Wednesday's article, it's touched on it there too. Stay tuned for Sundays. We're going to be talking about it again. It's super important. And make sure you've been listening to our recent bird's eyes. We've been toying with this idea a little bit as well in our coverage of the stationary bandit theory. Yeah. So that's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and share this episode with your friends or on social media. If you'd like to listen to each new article of focus and insight read aloud, follow the link in the notes for Spectacles Out Loud. If you'd like to make a comment on the episode that you just heard, there's a link to our website, also in the notes, where you can also subscribe to our newsletter, if you haven't already, to receive a new way of seeing politics in your inbox five days a week. And find us on Twitter, at Spectacles Media. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks.